Today is only the second day of 2022. And by now, I would safely say that all of us have already made and broken some New Year's resolutions. I made a New Year's resolution that I am not going to eat any more sweets. Things like pie, cake, cookies, I'm not going to eat any more. I'm not going to eat any less, but I'm not going to eat any more during the coming year. You know, every year we make resolutions. And we break resolutions. And sometimes we make the same resolutions year after year. How many of you have more than one time in your life made the resolution, I'm going to exercise more this year? And how many of you more than once have made, I'm going to drop a few pounds this year? Uh-huh. I knew a man one time that every year he said, I'm going to quit smoking this year. And someone said, well, how'd that work for you? He said, well, I quit smoking 17 times last year. Once how long as three hours. You know, thankfully, we serve a God who always allows us the opportunity to start over. And that's something that is shown to us vividly in our text this morning. Our text in Matthew chapter 26 comes from a part of the story of the cross. Jesus has gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. And He's gone there to prepare Himself for the ordeal of Calvary. And into that familiar place He takes with Him to share His sorrow, three of His close friends from His inner circle. In the garden with Jesus that night are Peter and James and John. These same three men had been with him when he went into the home of Jairus to change death into life. They'd been with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. And as part of the inner circle, these three were men of great privilege. But rest assured, with great privilege also comes great responsibility. And what we see here is that we see Jesus as come to His hour of supreme testing. And so in this hour of His greatest sorrow, He takes Peter and James and John. And you have to ask yourself, why did He take those three men? He had all those other apostles, why did He choose these three? He took them for their own good. Jesus invited them so that in His fellowship, the fellowship of prayer, they could prepare themselves for the awful ordeal that was ahead. You see, Jesus knew something. Something that, as we learn sooner or later, that for us to go about our task prayerless is to also go about our task powerless. 
And these men going with Jesus, this was their opportunity to be ready for the terrible test that's going to come their way. Peter and James and John, with Jesus about to go to the cross on Calvary's hill, they had no idea what was coming. They had no idea what it was they were about to face. And yet, what they're facing is going to shake them to the very foundation of their being. And Jesus asked them to go with Him and to share with Him in this hour of prayer so they could gather strength. And the strength they were to gather was not just strength for themselves. It was strength for their comrades as well. Their weaker brothers were going to also be facing severe trials. And they were going to need some strong human arm to lean on. And so Peter and James and John could be towers of strength to their brothers. You've always heard that cowardice is contagious. If cowardice is contagious so also is courage. No man or woman on the top side of God's green earth can stand in their place and be true in the hour of testing without at the same time making those around them stronger. It's like the image that you see that comes out of the first battle of Bull Run. That was the first battle of Bull Run in the War of Northern Aggression. And the Union Army was routing the the Southern Army. And there was a man, a Southern general that had had enough. was a man by the name of Thomas Jonathan Jackson. And he ordered his men to rally around him and make a line and make a stand. And so... Today, Thomas Jonathan Jackson is forever remembered by the name that was given him by General Bernard Elliott B. Because Bernard Elliott B., the general, said, There stands Jackson like a stone wall. Rally behind the Virginian. And forever after, he was known as Stonewall Jackson. He showed courage. And He made those around Him stronger because of it. Jesus knew that Peter and James and John were going to need to have courage to face the ordeals that were coming their way. And Jesus knew that by their courage, they would make those around them stronger. So Jesus invited these friends of His inner circle to this hour of prayer so they could strengthen themselves. And they would have something then to share with their needy brothers. And yes, Jesus also invited them to come with Him to the Garden of Prayer that night because Jesus needed them. Jesus was indeed divine. He was the Son of God, but He was also thoroughly human. And there were times, therefore, that Jesus leaned on human help heavily 
just as you and I do. The heart of Jesus was hungry for the fellowship, for the sympathy, for the understanding of friends. You see, the human side of my Lord shrank from that terrible ordeal of the cross. He prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but thine be done. And as the human side of Jesus shrank from that ordeal of the cross, it also shrank from passing through that ordeal alone to the sensitive soul. Loneliness can at times be almost unbearable. And Jesus Christ, my Lord, was exceedingly sensitive. You remember what He wrote in John chapter 16 and verse 32? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, it is now come that you will be scattered, every man to his own, listen to it, and you shall leave me alone. Had it not been that He had a dread of loneliness, Jesus Christ would have never spoken those words. And there are two kinds of loneliness, and all of us know about it. There's physical loneliness. The loneliness we experience when we're separated from our friends by miles. The loneliness we experience when we have no close contact with our loved ones. And in this hour... Jesus dreaded to be alone physically. So He took His friends with Him. But beloved, the supreme dread of Jesus was loneliness of the Spirit. Jesus was lonely. As truly great souls often are. Because Jesus saw a vision that other people did not see. Jesus dreamed dreams that others did not share. And He's facing the cross. And He has a deep longing as He faces that cross to have somebody nearby who might at least have some glimmering of an understanding of the agony that he was about to go through. So, because of the needs of these three men, the needs of their comrades, and because of his own great need, Jesus invited Peter and James and John to the garden to watch with him. These men had a tremendous opportunity. But what did they do with their big chance to help others? What did they do with their big chance to help themselves? What did they do with their big chance to help Jesus? They threw it away. Instead of watching with Jesus and praying with Jesus, they went to sleep. My what a human story that is. All of us at some point in our lives have passed through that same kind of experience. Not necessarily that we've gone to sleep. 
But we've all made similar failures of great opportunities just as these men did. Jesus took them into the garden with Him for the hour of prayer. And when He came seeking the consolation of their watchful sympathy, He found them asleep. We hear Him. He asks Peter a question. A question that seems literally soaked in tears of disappointment. And the Lord plaintively asks, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? So they bestir themselves and they wake up and with bitter shame they try to do better. And guess what? They fell asleep again. And Jesus finally comes to them and He says, Sleep on and take your rest. He says, The hour has come that I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. What does He have in mind? What does Jesus mean when He says, Sleep on and take your rest? Jesus is doing and trying to bring them face to face with their unalterable, irrevocable past. He says, sleep on and take your rest. You've slept. You've missed your opportunity to watch and pray with me this night. As far as that opportunity is concerned, you can just keep on sleeping. And here's a startling fact. Day by day, you and I, we, come face to face with privileges and opportunities that we must take advantage of or we'll miss them forever. Every hour of every day brings its gifts and lays them at our feet. We are daily confronted with opportunities of service to our Lord. And we must take advantage of those opportunities. We can't afford to sleep through them. We're fond of saying, I'll do better next time. But so many things have no next time. But here's a question for you. And it's not a trick question. Is that the only message of Jesus? Is this message of Jesus, when He tells them to sleep on, and says, you've missed your opportunity. Is that the only message that Jesus has to those who have failed? Folks, if it is, we're all in a terrible jam. Because every one of us has failed in some way. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with each other, if we're honest before God, we've got to confess that no matter how great our accomplishments, we have not measured up to our best. All of us have failed somewhat. And the heartening word of Jesus comes to us that came to those men. 
Because what Jesus says was, Rise, let us be going. That's in Matthew 26, verse 46. Rise, Jesus says, let us be going. That's what He says to those friends that failed Him. And that's what He says to me and to you. He doesn't say, get up and go, but you're going to go alone. He doesn't say, I refuse to cast my lot with such shameful failures that have gone to sleep like you guys did. But to Peter and James and John, He says, let us be going. Jesus is still ready to go forward with them. And He's ready to go forward with me and with you. Regardless of the ugliness of our failures, and regardless of how long or how often we persisted in making those failures, Jesus says, rise, let us be going. Let's go together. Let's do it together. Now think about that. And think about how different Jesus is from us. I once heard a man said, nobody ever lets me down but once. Thankfully, my God and my Lord don't say that. Thankfully, my God and my Lord are the God and the Lord of the second chance. And the third chance. And the fourth chance. And the fifth chance. And the way you get the idea. If my God wasn't the God of the second and third and fourth and fifth chances and so on, I would be in a hopeless situation. And don't be too smug, so would you. All of us would be. <clears throat> Have you heard people say, well, <laughs> they made their bed and let them lie in it. Thank God my God is not like that. Jesus has a way of treating sin that is unique. I've known a lot of folks that were conscious of their soil yesterdays. And some folks are so conscious of their soil yesterdays, they're in danger of losing their todays and their tomorrows. Some folks allow the memory of past failures so paralyze them, it actually keeps them from trying anymore. We cannot afford to do that. Jesus urges us to turn our backs on our sinful past. He says, rise, let us be going. When Paul wrote that letter to the Philippians, he's passing to us what he learned from Jesus. And he says, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth to the things that are before, I press toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, it says, forget the past and encourages us to press forward toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God. When we come to Jesus Christ in obedience... We can be certain that God forgets our sins. And we can be certain that the God who expects us to forgive until 70 times 7 
won't expect even anything less of himself. What we see illustrated in Matthew 26 when those three friends failed Jesus in the garden that night, what we see is the gospel of the second chance. The gospel is the gospel of a thousand chances. No, it's not. It's the gospel of endless chances. We said this in Bible class. I'm going to say it again. No failure need ever be final. And no fall must end in tragedy. The only disaster that is without remedy is to quit trying. You remember Peter? He denied Jesus. He denied Him a second time. And He denied Him a third time. And He cursed and He swore. The life of Peter might have ended just as tragically as the life of Judas. But Peter started over. Peter's heart was a heart of penitence. The most painful wound. Judas inflicted upon Jesus Christ was not the kiss of betrayal that night in the garden. But the fact that after spending three years in the company of Jesus, he failed to put his trust in Jesus to make a new start. For even the best among us Generally speaking, life is not a constant progress upward. It's the constant progress upward and a failure and a new start and a failure and a new start. Life is a constant making of new beginnings after we failed. And to everyone who has failed, Jesus says, rise, let us be going to those who failed and never started their walk with Jesus he says come and if you've never started your walk with him would you be willing to do that to begin your walk with Jesus Christ and become a Christian it's a simple matter to do that you do it by coming to Him in simple, trusting faith, repenting of everything that's sin in your life, confessing His name, being buried in the waters of baptism. But to those who started that walk, to those who failed, He says, come home. He says, rise. Let us be going. And you start over. The choice is yours. To start this new year, if you need to say to Lord, the Lord, rise, the Lord says, rise, let us be going. Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? Do you need to make changes? Can we help you with those changes? This is your opportunity as we stand and while we sing.